spend a little bit of time in the, in the Word this morning. Uh, so let's go ahead and let's, let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we just thank you so very much for your Son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins, who was buried and then rose again on the third day. As we spend time in your Word, as we look at the, the wonderful, marvelous truth that's found here, we ask that our minds would be focused on the text and that we would uh, hear what you have to say, what you have to teach us, and that uh, we would walk away saying it was good to be uh, with God's people this morning. We ask that you would reveal uh, our secret sin, that you would encourage us to repent and to live a life that looks like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you and love you for everything you've given us. In your son's name, amen. So I... I don't know if you remember back this point. If not, that's fine because it probably was so traumatic you forgot about it. Uh, when you were in school and you would spend time learning about something and then you would take a test about that thing that you just learned and then the next day then the teacher would then go over the test, over the things you learned and then before they started the next se section, guess what they would do? They would talk about the things that they just taught and I remember as a kid just going, this is a waste of my life. I can't believe that I'm spending so much time going over the same thing over and over and over again. As an adult, I now realize why they did that uh, was because we didn't get it. We just didn't learn it, right? The, the reason that they had to continually remind us was because we didn't get the basics down. Uh, we, we, we couldn't master the basics. So before we could go on, we had to master the basics. Another reason we had to spend so much time was because we often forget about the basics. This morning, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 23. We're going to be in verses uh, 10 through 16. And remember the posture that we're taking in this particular section of the book of Proverbs, right? So the first... 22 chapters, we were a child. We're coming to God like our father. We're saying we're ignorant children. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what we need. We, we come completely teachable. Teach us as a heavenly father. I'm a child. I don't, know what, uh, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act. I don't know how to think. So God, you have to be the one that teaches us. This next section has moved more to like a schoolroom setting. Right? So we're now pupils, and we now have these teachers teaching us. And remember, in this section of Proverbs, there are these 30 sayings. And each one of these sayings is like a professor at a school or a teacher at a school, and they're different class lessons that we have to learn. And they're from these various wise teachers. And so we are sitting down in the classroom, and the teacher is now going over a review. Now you go, Caleb, we've only done nine sayings. What is there to review in nine sayings? There's a lot. There's a lot to review. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a review. And you would say, why, Caleb? The same reason my teachers would do review. We didn't learn it the first time. 
We're going to look at some of this stuff and go, this is basic. This is some basic stuff. Yeah, the reason it needs to be repeated is because we often forget the basics and we often don't master the basics. So we need this reminder. We need this review. In fact, this review that we're going to do this morning in Proverbs 23, in, uh, in, in verse, starting in verse 10, you're going to see this and go, now, that is the exact wording we just saw. He didn't even change the wording. It's the same thing. Why? Because we need it. Here's a principle when we're studying the scriptures. We need to remember that the things that are often repeated most are the things that we need the most. And the things that aren't said at all, we probably don't need to know a thing about it. Guess what we try to do? We try to figure out the things that are never said, and we spend a lot of time on the things that are never said. And the things that are said quite a bit, we go, eh, it's basic, right? But there's a reason for the, the repetition, Because these are the important things. These these are the things that we need to remember. These are the things that God's really trying to communicate to us. Repetition, those big things that are said over and over and over again, we need to have in our lives and we need to say, this is important stuff, important stuff. So let's go to Proverbs 23, 10 through 16. I'm going to show you four things. We're going to go through four sayings, four classes today, four classes. The first saying... 10 through 11, this is saying number 10. Saying number 10 is, you ready? Don't defraud anybody. Don't be frauds. Don't steal, right? That's pretty basic, right? Don't do it. Why would he say it again? Why would he say it so many times? You ready? We're prone to steal. Even as believers, we struggle with the flesh. We struggle with theft, right? I mean, mean, how many different ways could we commit theft? We we need to be reminded, don't steal, because that's a huge temptation in our life, to steal, to defraud. Saying number 11, found in verse 12, you ready? Study and apply God's wisdom. You said, we just studied that. Yeah, it's so important, it needs to be said twice. Saying 12 and 13 through 14, you ready? Discipline your children. Once again, almost the same exact wordage, verbiage. Verses 15 through 16, that's saying 13. You ready? Those who are wise are pleasing to the Lord. Those are some basic things that we've already learned. So let's go over it again. It's review day, right? We're looking at our tests. We're going we're gonna to look at our lives. How, how, how well have we done the past couple weeks in some of these areas? Uh, could, could we say, oh, look, teacher, I got an A, or is it more like the test of, I don't know if I want my parents to see this. (laughs) So let's look at saying number 10, class number 10, verses 10 through 11. You ready? Do not move ancient landmarks, and do not enter the field of the fatherless, for their redeemer is strong, and he will plead their case against you. Okay, so this is the same exact verbiage that we find in verse 28 of chapter 22. The same exact verbiage. Do not move ancient landmarks. Don't move it. Remember, we talked about those ancient landmarks. They were just rocks that were placed on the corners of your property. 
and they normally had a particular saying or your name on it, and they were put there, and there would be that invisible line from the one rock to the next rock that would be your land. Those were those ancient landmarkers, right? We talked about how in Israel, God specifically allotted land for each tribe, and each family could say, God gave us this land. Joshua spends a lot of time talking about which tribe gets which land, here's the boundaries of the tribe, and then breaking up that land for each tribe and each family, what each family gets. God gave them that land. We talked about how it's kind of the same for us, right? Everything that we have is given to us by God, and the power to keep it is given to us by God. The power to amass anything is by God. To take something that belongs to someone else that God has given them is to essentially say, I'm now determining who gets what when. They don't get to determine that. They don't get to be stewards of their own property. They don't get, they don't, God doesn't get to determine that. I'm the one that determines what stuff is mine and what stuff is yours. Dangerous, right? Dangerous thing. And we talked about how easy this would be. Think about this. If there's a rock on the corner of a property and all you have to do is just push it, I mean, you just think even just a couple of inches. Let's say, let's say you just push it a couple inches. Think about how much land you've gained over that entire line. How do you then go to court and say, he moved the rock? How, do you, how can you prove where the rock was originally? How can you prove that he moved it? It's one of those crimes that would be a very easy crime to commit. It would be something that would be very easy to do. Think about this. In Israel, if you were to buy land from a family, after a certain amount of time, you would have to give that land back. It's called the year of Jubilee, right? Let's say that you own the land. The land butted up to yours. You're going, the year of Jubilee's coming. That family hasn't been on this land for a long time. They don't know where the markers originally were. So before you give it back, you move the markers. How are they going to know? So we talked about how easy this would be to commit. And so Solomon says, don't do it. Don't move it. Don't defraud anybody. Don't steal. Right? We, we, believers should not be known as people who steal. It is wrong for various reasons. We've discussed how, why it's wrong. But we, it should not even be named amongst us that we've even considered defrauding a person. Now notice the next clause in verse 10. It says, so do not move an ancient landmark or enter the field of the fatherless. Don't enter it. Don't even walk into it, right? The, 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 the idea is uh, don't walk in it with the intention of stealing it. And, and notice what Solomon, or what the teachers are teaching us here. It says, into the fields of the fatherless. Uh, we understand what that means, right? It's, it's uh, most likely speaking of children who don't have parents, of orphans. They, they, their parents are gone for whatever reason. Here you have these orphans. They have land that was given to them. How easy would that be to go into the land of orphans who have no one to protect them, no one to provide for them, to trick them into giving you land. How easy would that be? That would be really easy. Especially at this time, what recourse would they have? How could they fight that? There would be no recourse for them to fight this. 
Think about how bad of a person you have to be, by the way, to go, you see those orphans over there? Watch me steal their land. That's a pretty diabolical person that thinks that way. What type of person thinks like that way? All of us think that way. That, that, that's what the sin nature does. The flesh isn't nice. It doesn't play by the rules, and it doesn't, it doesn't walk away smelling like roses. We all are capable of doing this, of saying, I, it's easy for me to defraud somebody who can't defend themselves. Right? But as a church and as believers, we have a different expectation. Just quickly turn with me to the book of James, James chapter 1. We have, a, we have a different expectation not to defraud those who can't help themselves, the defenseless, the orphans. This may even extend to the widows, right, this, this particular proverb. But notice in James 1, and notice in, let's just start in verse 26. Notice what he says. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So the expectation for us as believers is to help these people. That's, that's what's required of us, to love, to edify, to build up, to, to say, here's a need, and I can help fulfill that need in a right way that's appropriate. Stealing from them? Nope. Nope, not good. No bueno. We should not do that. It shouldn't even be named amongst us. Now, Solomon will add a reason, and I think his reason is really good in verse 11 of Proverbs 23. Notice the reason of why you must be careful. Not only is it just morally wrong, ethically wrong, really, really bad, does not look good, stealing land from orphans, There's another reason, and this reason should send shivers down our spine to say, I don't want that to happen to me. Notice what he says in 11. But their Redeemer is strong. Don't steal their land. Why? Because they have a Redeemer who's strong. And then it says, he will plead their case against you. Who's that Redeemer? It's God. Now, For us, when we hear the word redeemer, we normally think of Jesus dying on the cross, buying us from the slave market of sin, right? Redeeming us. We were a a slave. He purchased us with his blood, and by faith in him alone, we now have this forgiveness of sins and this right relationship with him. He's redeemed us. Here, though, that may carry some some of the idea. Here, the idea is a kinsman redeemer. Now, our culture doesn't have kinsman redeemer, but in this culture, they did. And this would have meant far more to them than it might to us. So a kinsman redeemer is a powerful relative in the family, right? It's a very powerful, very rich relative in the family. This person stands up for the rest of the family and offers a sense of legal protection. This person is obligated to pay debts, This person is obligated to buy back land that was lost. There's even indication that he is supposed to, this kinsman redeemer is supposed to marry the widow so that she has someone to protect her and and a way to provide for her. There's even cases where the kinsman redeemer is supposed to seek vengeance for any time that a family member is wronged. 
He's the protector. He's the provider. He's the one that rescues family members from bondage. So, so just think about this. You might think that person is an orphan. No one will know. No one can fight for them. No one can protect them. And Solomon says, back up a second. Remember, God is their redeemer. He's their redeemer. You better think twice. You better think twice because he's the one that's going to protect them. But then notice what it says. It's not just that he's a redeemer. It says their redeemer is strong. Well, that's an understatement, right? He's all-powerful. All-powerful. In fact, one commentator says this, God will never be outmanned, outgunned, nor outnumbered. That's it. You ain't going to beat this one. This one lasts forever. This one's the giver of life. This one is sovereign, all-powerful, holy, righteous, just. What are you going to do against this redeemer? You're going to steal from this one? Bad idea. You need to understand that God protects these people. He has a protection of these people. You do this, he's against you. By the way, I am so very glad of this one truth that the Lord is our redeemer. That when we place our faith in him, he is our redeemer and our redeemer is strong. And I'm so very thankful for that promise in Romans 8. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And what what does Paul say? If Christ is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Right? That's, That's the redeemer. The same redeemer that holds my salvation also protects the fatherless. Be careful. He has a vested interest. And then notice what it says next. This is the scariest part. He will plead their case against you. Yeah, that's not a good idea to go to court against God Almighty, the sovereign creator of the universe who knows everything and can outlast you as far as time. He has all the energy in the world. He doesn't sleep, and he loves what is good. That one is going to be the defense lawyer defending the fatherless against you who stole their land. Don't defraud. This is the lesson. Don't steal Don't defraud, and especially don't look for angles against people who can't protect themselves. That is wrong as believers. We should not do that. We should be the ones that are loving, that are edifying, sharing the gospel, and helping. It should not be named amongst us in any way to defraud a person. But this is review. We already spent a lot of time on this, right? Ready for review session number two? Go with me to the next saying, verse 12. This is saying 11. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Now, we've already talked about this. This application of God's word to your heart. By the way, when it says apply your heart, Hebrew has it really, says it really funnily. It says uh, bring your heart to wisdom. Has the idea like... Like you're carrying it, you're bringing it to it. Has the idea of being incredibly focused, singularly focused. I am singularly focused to know God's wisdom. That's my focus. You want to know what my commitment is? To know his word, to know his will, to know God. That's my commitment. My commitment is to know God's wisdom that comes from God's word. This is where wisdom comes from. Wisdom comes from his word. Do you have that singular commitment to know God's word? 
Like, I mean, is that your commitment? Do, are, do you apply yourself to know this book? That's, that's the lesson, right? That, that's, this is the review. Spend a lot of time. Take this book serious. Take the things that are found here serious. We've talked about the advantages of knowing God's wisdom. That's what the book of Proverbs is teaching us, right? The advantages of fearing God, the advantages of theology, the advantages of Bible study. We know these advantages. And here it's a reminder. Continue do that. Continually do this. Apply your heart. And notice that this is to instruction. Senses to spend time thinking about these things and studying the word deeply. A couple weeks ago when we talked about this, remember I said I, I am all for daily breads. I, I'm all for devotionals. I, 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 uh, I think they're great. And if you find them helpful, amen. Right? Good. But your Christian life needs more than that. You need to be studying God's word. It's okay to have a devotional thought. It's okay to start off your day devotionally, but if, if it's just simply just reading five minutes and going, did that, now I can get on with the rest of my day, I think you kind of missed the point. And that's not really being committed, is it? I mean, I mean, imagine somebody who says that they love you, they only call you and go, hey, just want to let you know, I have this checklist, I'm supposed to call you today, so can I mark you off the checklist to say that I talked to you? Sweet. Hey, talk to you tomorrow, bye. Would you feel really like they were really committed to that relationship? Would you go, wow, that person really took a lot of thought to call me, <laughs> really care about what's going on in my life? I'm glad to know I made their checklist, right? We, we would walk away going, that is a really shallow thing to do. Really, that's really rude, right? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, do you not think that the Lord deserves a little bit more than just that? right? Your checklist thing. The, the, the idea is, is, to be, is to be thinking about this book and to be thinking about text, to be meditating on these things that you find in the text, right? To be seriously contemplating God's character and his will. Yeah. Uh, apply yourself. Uh, you know, there, there's one example in the Old Testament that I think is a really good example for us in the New Testament. Go with me to the book of Ezra, Chapter 7, I think this is really the type of, this is the type of uh, commitment we should have. Ezra 7, and then just notice what it says in verse 10. It says, for Ezra had set his heart, same idea, set his heart, brought his heart, is committed, right? Singularly focused. He set his heart, notice, to study the law, spending time studying this means reading it, observing it, saying who's writing to who, what's the grammar, what's the historical context, right? Studying it involves what is the theological implications and principles of this, and then applying it to your life. If you're looking for a good book on how to do that, I would suggest Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. Great book on how to study the Bible if you don't know how to do that. Really easy read. It's something that we as believers should be investing our time and money in doing. How do I study? But then notice, Ezra just doesn't stop there. Then he says, and to do it. So, so he studies the law, but, but it does, it's not just some sort of academic pursuit. It's a 
pursuit to be lived out. So he studies the law in order to do the law. And then notice, then to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is the dedication of Ezra. And I think this is a really good example, a really good illustration of what this looks like, of what the teachers are teaching us in the book of Proverbs, this commitment. Now, notice the next part of this verse in Proverbs 23. Notice what it says in verse 12. It says, and your ear to the words of knowledge. Pay attention. Listen up. Take this, take this stuff serious. Take this book serious. Okay? Review, right? All this is review. Nothing new. In fact, almost the same exact wording as a couple weeks ago, Right? It's not really the most entertaining sermon, I'm sorry, but this is stuff we need to be reminded, right? Because how have you done the past couple weeks on some of these things? Yeah, I'm sure we don't want to show our parents our report card, right? Definitely wouldn't want to show my parents my report card over these things. But let's go to the next one, right? Verse 13. Chris and I last night were watching a documentary about uh, some uh, really really strict Christian boarding school that actually ended up abusing children and, and, and a lot of problems. Uh, and uh, I, the documentary started off with the guy who started the school quoting this text. And I thought, oh, no. This was the proof text that he used to start his abusive school? Oh, now I got to stand up and talk about this. I just want to start off by saying this verse does not condone parental abuse of children. If you do that, you are wrong and sinful and you need to repent and you need a lot of help. That is not okay. This verse does not condone that in any way, shape, or form. This is talking about discipline Discipline is different than abuse. Discipline comes from love. Discipline has the desire to watch the child grow. Discipline offers up an ability that teaches a child, okay, I did something wrong. I'm confronted with that thing that's wrong. It teaches them then how to apologize, confess, repent, and move on. And the parent is meant to teach the child in that way because children do a lot of stuff that's wrong and weird and dumb and parents need to be there to instruct them on how to correct that to train them out of that to give them the tools necessary not only just to relate to God of when I sin with God how should I approach God in confession and repentance but also how do I do that when I have a job and I make a mistake how should I respond in an appropriate way that's what discipline teaches right Discipline teaches children these important skills of wisdom. That's what discipline's for. This is not abuse. But notice what he says. Verse 13, he says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. That is the worst thing you could do to a child, is not discipline the child. In fact, the, the idea of discipline here is something that's hard won. I wish you could just... Tell your kids to stop doing something one time, and then they're perfect listeners, and they'd never do that again. That is not the idea here. The idea is this is hard won. This is hard work. This is every day. You don't, you don't get a day off from being mom or dad. 
You have to be mom and dad every day. That's it. And it's hard won. And it's consistency, right? It's this consistency every day. Has the idea that the goal is character and wisdom. It implies sternness. You violated something. Remember when we talked about discipline of children. The idea for us as believers is to make sure that we're disciplining children when they break God's law. Right? When they steal, they get disciplined for that. And you can point back to the word and say, you violated the law of God. It's easy to do, but sometimes we, we discipline our children not because they're violating God's law or because they're doing something wrong. We just do it because they're being annoying. And, and that's not the right approach. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. Discipline requires sternness, pointing out a wrong committed, and then calling the child to be accountable for that wrong, take responsibility, apologize, and seek to make amends. That's what you're trying to do with discipline. So don't withhold that from a child. It's it's the deadliest thing you can do to a child, because notice what it says next. It says, if you strike him with a rod, this has the idea of spanking, and of course, Uh, The scripture here would teach that it would be okay to spank, be careful, because some people that turn to this verse and say, I'm not going to spare the rod, use this to justify abuse. Uh, Discipline must always come from a place of love, but it's definitely not against spanking, and some children don't respond the same way to spankings as they would to, let's say, a remove of a prize, right? Sometimes AJ responds better to discipline when he loses privileges. And we say, we're going to remove a privilege. That hurts him worse than any spanking that I could offer because he realizes that there's a real consequence. That's the idea, right? That's the principle. There's a real consequence, a serious consequence, a stern consequence, a consequence that's consistent. But it says, it says strike him with a rod and he will not die senses you can drum wisdom into a kid's head, right? And and that's the point. There needs to be real, consistent, serious, stern consequences. This teaches them. This is a teaching tool to develop them. If you don't, the consequences is that they'll turn out to be a fool. And being a fool, they'll separate themselves from God, first and foremost. Secondly, they will alienate all of the people in their life. They will cause serious problem. They will be a huge energy and resource suck on the family and friends. And guess what happens when somebody's like that? When they're a huge suck to resources and energy, nobody wants them around. It's possible that even in that, they might even break the law and do something so horrendous that even the law will say death penalty. That's the sense. The sense, is, the sense is you're saving them from all of these troubles. Now notice the next one. This next one's really, really interesting because it says in 14, if you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. This doesn't mean that if you spank your kids, that automatically means they go to heaven. I wish that was the case. That would be really easy. That is not what it means here. What it means here is that when you're consistent and you discipline and you train your children, There's a theological and spiritual aspect to this that won't land them in the grave. Sheol, we don't have time to go through an entire explanation of Sheol in the Old Testament. But Sheol here, I think, would probably be better translated grave. 
will save their soul from the grave, will, 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 will save them and help them in the long run, and, and will teach them wisdom. All right, notice the next principle here, the next saying, the 13th saying, right, found in verses 15 through 16. I really like this one. Notice Solomon kind of interjects here and he goes, my son. So it's kind of like the dad is your teacher. If you've ever had that privilege, you know that's not necessarily the best privilege to have is your dad as your teacher. My dad was my Greek professor. Every day I prayed for the rapture. Every day. It really helped my spiritual life and really expecting the Lord's coming because my dad was my Greek professor. Oh, man. If it's already, you're already learning Greek, but it was kind of like, no, Caleb, out of everyone, you're going to get it. So sometimes having your parent as a teacher is not a great privilege. But notice, notice this, and, and as parents, we should notice this. This is really important. Realizing our, our life with our Heavenly Father, this is really important. He says, my son, if your heart is wise my heart will be, will be glad. First of all, as parents, we shouldn't really care what our kids do as long as they're living lives that are pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? I don't care. I don't care. Just as long as my kids love Jesus, they can do whatever they want. That's really it. Whether they're just flipping burgers for minimum wage, but they love Jesus. Amen. They love Jesus. Right? Or if Sophia becomes a lawyer and a judge and gets her own TV show like Judge Judy. Amen. I don't want to put that expectation on her, but I kind of would like to see that. This should be our hearts as parents. The greatest joy... That, that, that a parent can have is when their child walks in God's wisdom, right? I mean, isn't, isn't that the greatest joy? And, and, and to communicate that to our children, I don't care about the other stuff. I don't, I don't care if you hit a home run in, in Little League. I don't care. I'm not going to yell at you if you miss the ball at second base. I don't care. As long as you tried your hardest. But what matters to me is that you love Jesus. That's what matters. And, and to celebrate that as parents is important. But think about this from our Heavenly Father's point of view. Does he not love it when his children act in wisdom? Does he not? Not not, not saying this isn't bypassing grace. We understand that we're saved by grace. God's graciousness towards us is is immense and limitless. He, He gives us so much. He gives us the ability to live for him. But as a father, he is pleased when we are obedient. He loves that, and he's glad. There's a, there's a, a passage in, in 3 John. I know that book that we don't read very often, and what does the Apostle John say there? He says, there's no greater joy than when my children are walking with the Lord. Just go with me quickly to Colossians 1. Notice what is said here in Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Notice in verse 9, he says, 
And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spirit, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That was Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae. That's what God wants. He wants us to walk in wisdom so that we're pleasing to him, right? As parents, we should be, in, we should, we should be over the moon, joy, dancing a jig when our children are acting in wisdom. And then notice the next verse, <laughs> verse 16. It says, my innermost being, uh, just got to say this, the, the Hebrew word there is actually kidney. So, uh, children, my children listening, you make my kidney dance. It's a literal translation. You will, my, my kidney will be full of joy. Happy kidneys. My, kid, my innermost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right. Happy kidneys when our children speak truth. There's joy when people walk with the Lord. That's what we want, and that's what we want to see. That should be our greatest joy when we see each other walking with the Lord, when we see children walking with the Lord, when we see our children walking with the Lord. That should be the things that are celebrated when people are living for the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are the four reminders. I know that it's a really quick reminder, right? I mean, we've only gone through nine Nine sayings, and he's already doing almost a word-for-word reminder. It's important for us to have these reminders because we forget. I'm sure we all remember back in grade school those kids that were really smart but always in trouble. I had one uh, when I was an RA in college. There was a guy in my section, had some disciplinary problems, was failing. Smart, one of the smartest people I've ever met. Couldn't get some of the basic concepts. And, and I remember just spending time saying, no, you got to get this down. Before you can dive into some of this deep theology, which you really want to do, you have to get some of the basics down, man. Like, you're not passing Bible college, but you want to say that, you wanna, that you're a great theologian. you got to at least pass theology to be a, theolo- to be a theologian, right? you got to get some of the basics down before you can do this. But I, as I've thought about him over the years... I'm just reminded of how many things that he used to do that I do in my own life to avoid the consequence of the text or to to, to try to pacify my flesh to say I'm not really that bad. And sometimes what happens is, is when we look at passages like this, we go, yeah, that's reminder. I already got that. That's Sunday school. That's little kid stuff. I don't struggle with that. And sometimes we avoid that because guess what? We actually do struggle with this. These are the types of real struggles we deal with on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. And these are some of those basic things that we should already have down. We should be moving past these things, but we're still struggling with them. And so the, the, the advice is be reminded, be encouraged, be admonished, walk by the power of the Spirit, repent when you sin, and then live the life that's pleasing to the Lord based upon the Spirit's leading. And say yes to what is right because of, what the, because of the power of the Spirit. And no to what is wrong. Do that. That's the proper response. Say, Father, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. 
Will you forgive me? Help me lead a life that's the opposite of this thing that I'm struggling with. And rely upon the Holy Spirit and step out in faith and in obedience. That should be our response to something like this. Be admonished. We're not as good as we think we are. But praise the Lord for his grace and the power that he has lavished upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for your word. We thank you for the things that are found here. We thank you for the reminder, even though that these words are almost as copied right from the verses right above. We thank you for the things that that we see. We thank you for the reminder and the truth of the book of Proverbs. Help us uh, not steal. Help us seek to edify, not to take. Help us apply your word to our lives. Help us as parents and and, and some grandparents and as we pray for the the parents of the church and the, the kids of the church, help us be consistent in our discipline. We thank you that you are a great discipliner as our heavenly father. And Father, will you develop in us as we spend time in your word this great overwhelming sense and joy when we see people living for you. We just ask for a blessing for the rest of the day that you would be honored and glorified in everything we say, everything we think, and everything we do. We thank you in your son's name. Amen.